Good evening. <clears throat> Has everyone learned who this guy is yet? How many of you want John Paul and Delisha to come back again next year for second session? Thanks. I told them they should come do this. <clears throat> hey, me and John Paul have known each other for a while. Um, Y'all got to see how we met uh, last night at the talent show. Um, but uh, since then, uh, I guess not since then, but for, for quite a while now, about a decade, we've been going to... Uh, we've been worshiping with John Paul and Delisha in Lubbock, uh, and uh, our kids are the same age. Uh, Ivy has already pledged her hand in matrimony to Gavin, <laughs> their son, and has already tried to shop for wedding dresses. Um, and uh, anyway, our families are close, uh, and, and we love them. We love them a lot. I love being able to sit across the auditorium from John Paul and Delisha and watch their faces as they worship God, because it's from their heart. Uh, and yeah, they've got awesome voices, but that stuff's trash compared to what's flowing out of their heart. And they offer a fragrant offering of worship. Not just, not just in worship, service at church, but with their lives, they offer it up. When I'm, when I'm with John Paul, I know he's listening and that he cares about what I'm saying. And I hope, it seems pretty obvious by your cheers, that you've gotten that these two weeks, right? They... They love you, John Paul loves you, and he is about to bring you words from a father that loves you unconditionally. Uh, and the Holy Spirit will come in power because John Paul has prepared himself for the Holy Spirit to live inside of him. Uh, so I pray that you'll, you'll listen. So let's do go to the Father in prayer for our hearts and for John Paul and for what's about to happen. Uh, God, we love you. And we love coming before your throne. There's some kids here right now that are, that are probably thinking, why are we praying again? Uh, and you know what? That doesn't worry me because I know they'll get it. Um, to be able to close our eyes and step into the throne room of the creator of the entire universe uh, is an incredible blessing. God, we want to thank you right now for practical things. Uh, today a lightning bolt struck a tree on a hill three miles away from us. Uh, and that could have bust open into something awful, but you put it out. And we praise you for that, and we thank you. We thank you that you sent probably one of the only U.S. Forest Service fire trucks available in the entire area to our doorstep in a very short amount of time, and they have put that fire out, God, and we give you praise for that, and we thank you. Uh, right now, I pray for the hearts of these campers, and, and you know what? Everybody's sitting in these seats. Because uh, we all need your word. It doesn't matter how much we know or we think we know. We need to be fed true food. And your word is true food. And the blood of your son is true drink. And God, I praise you for all the campers who have drank him up these two weeks. But I pray that they, although they're full and their thirst is quenched, that they also always have a hunger and always have a thirst. Um, we thank you that you can always keep us filled and always keep us hungry and that you bring us complete satisfaction. Right now, I pray for my brother, John Paul, that there be no nerves, uh, that your message comes out and is true and is holy, uh, and that it, it takes firm root in the hearts of these campers. And you know what? When it's done, John Paul will have only been a vessel 
and all that's been accomplished will be done by you, the planting, the watering, and the harvest. It's all to your glory, to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Chad. Um, okay, so most of you know that I am a middle school counselor by trade, right? That is how I spend my Monday through Friday school time, is uh, being a middle school counselor. And I love it. It's great. It's absolutely phenomenal. I have worked, I don't know if you know this, I have worked as a counselor in an elementary school as well. Um, and so I've kind of dabbled in the K through 5 era um, of your lives. Um, I've also worked as a high school music teacher, high school choir director for a couple of years. So I kind of pride myself to, I, I consider myself like, an, like a, a very, um, a person who looks at themselves and looks at their surroundings to try to make some, um, some, some, I don't know, I don't know, what's the word, um, some assumptions about what you need. Does that make sense? That, that's what I try to do. I, I, try to, I try to look into, the, into y'all's lives, and when I was thinking about what am I going to talk to y'all about, and at the time I started writing the sermon, I didn't have a clue what any of you came from, any of your names and your faces, and over these last two weeks, God has blessed me with relationships with each and every one of you, and it's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, this week has been a blast for us. We have loved pouring into y'all's lives and getting poured into um, from y'all. Uh, we have really, really loved that, um, and God has blessed our lives immensely. Um, when you're working with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, boys and girls, um, as a counselor, the big percentage of my day is dealt in girl drama. I'm just going to be honest. 6th and 7th graders mainly, but middle school girl drama. And so as I was looking at what can I talk to you all about, I started thinking, okay, so what does all of that girl drama have in common, right? And it was all stuff like, she's talking to my ex-boyfriend. We broke up three months ago, and I can't believe she's talking to him. I hate her. Um, and, and then it was, oh, my goodness. Um, I cannot believe that she said that I was ugly, and now I hate her, and all my friends hate her, and so we're going to talk about her. And it, it, it should, that's what I dealt with a lot. A big percentage of my time was dealing with that kind of stuff. And I know from experience that that doesn't stop in high school. It's kind of on the back burner, but it doesn't stop, okay? I know that. Um, so what does that all have in common? There is, I believe, and I could be wrong, there is a huge yearning and longing for acceptance. To be accepted by the people around you. To be accepted by the people, by your peers, by your friends at school. So my question it became, do we, and I'm talking to myself and the adults over here as well, do we really want to be like everyone else? Do we want to live like everyone else? Do we want to spend money like everyone else? Do we really want to make our decisions just like everybody else? Because here's the deal. Everybody else wants their life to be perfect. They want all the money, right? They want the big fancy cars, the big fancy houses. They want the most expensive clothing. Everybody wants enough free time to spend all of that money, right? You want all the money, but not enough to, to you know, or, or, or you, don't, you don't want a job that's going to take away all your free time to spend that money, right? You want lots of friends. You want to be invited on the weekend trips so that you won't be out of the loop on Monday. So that the people who are talking about what happened on the weekends, 
you'll be included into that conversation. You'll know what's going on. That's just my observation. But here's the problem. Everybody else has problems too. The grass is not greener on the other side. They have just as much stickers as you do. Everybody else is worried about stuff all the time. Everybody else is anxious about stuff all the time. Everybody else is in debt. Everybody else doesn't enjoy the stuff that they have because they're wanting the stuff that they don't have. Does that make sense? They're spending so much time wanting more in their lives that they don't stop and enjoy the stuff that they do have. And I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm talking about relationships. Face-to-face relationships. See, the world of everybody else, every teenager, not every, I won't, I won't, I won't generalize. In the world of everybody else, the teenagers really do care what other people think of them. Even though they don't want to say it out loud. Why do you think so many people get so upset when there's a Facebook post about you? Or about them? Right? I spent a huge majority of my time breaking up fights or stopping fights because someone um, posted an Instagram message about someone else. And of course they had to screenshot it for me and show me the entire message. Right? I, uh, I would ask them, I would say, hey, so why do you care so much about what that other girl said about you? I don't care. I don't care about her. She don't, she don't matter. She don't matter. I don't care. I, 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 I don't even exaggerate on that, okay? And I would ask them, but you cared enough to value their opinion. And they didn't get it, and so I just moved on to something different. So I'm hoping that some of you will. See, everybody else takes their cues of what's cool and what's accepted and what's right from everybody else. And some of us have in the past and some of us still do take our cues from everybody else. See, the problem with taking your cues from everybody else is that you end up looking like everybody else. See, when you take your cues from everybody else, you're just looking at their highlight film. You're just looking at the glory days. You're looking at the one or two glorious moments in their life, the one or two hours in their life that, they're, that they are willing to share with you. You don't get to see what they're like behind closed doors. You don't get to see that they're putting on a front when they're around people. But when they go home, that's when the problems happen. You don't get to see that when they're happy on the outside and they show you how excited they are and how happy they are to be who they are and what they're doing. You don't get to see that they're an alcoholic. You don't get to see that they come from an abusive family. Because you don't get to see the scars. 
You can't see scars, not the emotional kinds. You can't see scars. You can't see the memories that they have. You can't see the guilt. And you can't see the pain and this overwhelming sense of longing to be accepted by someone. See, they're happy on the inside, but they're sad. I'm sorry, they're happy on the outside, but they're sad on the inside. I bet if I were to take a poll right now, these adults over here would tell you if they knew that living like they did on the outside, looking at the outside and making their judgments from the outside would leave them feeling like this on the inside, they would have made a whole lot of different choices. I know I would have. This isn't a new problem. Looking to the outside is not a new problem. Oh, no, that's a problem. Let's see here. All right, I think we're good. Okay. If, if, and I know you don't have your Bibles, or if you could, you probably couldn't see them. So I'm just going to tell you a little synopsis, right? There's a little book in the Old Testament called Judges. And a lot of you have studied this book when it was on flannel graph, when you were in elementary school or even preschool. Yeah? Okay, so there's some awesome stories in there. If, if, if you want to like be a quick, um, if, if someone has never studied the Bible at all, and, and, you, and they say, hey, let's study the Bible, put them to Judges. There's some great stories in Judges of God's power. Great stories. So if, if you're unfamiliar, the book of Judges starts out, and the way God intended the Israelites to live in the book of Judges is that they would take their cues from God. That God would be their king, and they would look to him for what to do and what was cool and what, what the rules were. But the Israelites created a disaster because they would disobey God. There would be a disaster where they were enslaved for a number of years. They would cry out to God, the one person whose rules they broke, and then God would send a judge to rescue them. Um, let's see here. Okay, so at the end of book uh, of at the end of the book of Judges, the very last verse, chapter twenty one. Verse 25 says, In those days there was no king, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Meaning that the Israelites and God's people, God's chosen people, they decided what they thought was right. And what they thought was the cool thing to do, and that was okay. And it was a disaster. It was a complete disaster. Um, they were looking... The Israelites were looking for other people to tell them what was accepted, to tell them what was cool, to tell them what they should do with their lives. Um, you see, that, that's the problem with living from the outside in. You allow other people to tell you how you're supposed to live. You end up, if you look for others as what is right and what you should do, you end up getting your self-worth from other people around you, and not God. They let the people around them, the Israelites let the people around them tell them who they were. Okay, um, what was the first sin? What was the first sin on earth, sir? 
close. What was the first sin before that? Yes, um, sir, I can't see. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and this might sound weird. Okay, it, it's not an apple. Okay, it, it's not an apple because I've never been tempted by a piece of fruit. All right, if God said don't touch the apple, I'm like, sure, that's fine. All right, but now if it's a Snickers bar tree, now we're talking. Now we're talking some temptation. All right. Um. Okay, so I've always heard the meaning that. When, at, when, when Eve took the fruit, all right, when Eve took the fruit, which, by the way, Adam was right there with her, and if he would have been the spiritual leader that God called him to be and created him to be, he would have helped his mate that God gave him to make the right choice, all right? So we could make an argument that the man not standing up and being the spiritual leader of his family might have been the first sin. But I'm not going to get into that debate, okay? I'm not going to get into that. I heard all my life that Adam and Eve sinning against God was Adam and Eve wanting to be like God. I agree with that. I heard a guy named Andy Stanley put it another way. He said, possibly, that the first sin on this earth was humans believing that God was keeping something good from them. And so they wanted it. That, I get. I know I can never be like God. But sometimes the devil lies to me and tells me that God is trying to keep something good from me. Some of us try to think that if we keep God's commands, that we're going to miss out on something good. That if we don't go to this party, if we don't hang out with this crowd, if we don't talk like this, if we don't watch these movies like our friends are doing, if we don't post and repost these messages like our friends are doing, that we're going to miss out on something good in our lives. And God says, no, no. If you keep my commands, you're going to miss out on something bad. I'm not trying to keep something good from you. I'm trying to give something good to you. But it's the same sin that condemned the world as the very same sin that entangles me today. We, the good news is that we serve an amazing God. We serve a God that is powerful. And I want to share quickly, and I know it's starting to rain, so I'm going to wrap up, okay? Well, in a little bit, I'll wrap up. All right. So I want to share a story with you that I have overlooked a lot in in, in my readings of the Bible. And I think by me overlooking overlooking God's power in this in this scripture, that I think that I've robbed some of the power that God is trying to show us through his word. Let me just quickly read this. this so l- let me set us up. So this is in John, right? The book of John, the gospel of John. This is when Jesus in, is in the garden and the soldiers are coming out to arrest Jesus. All right. Everybody know what I'm talking about? 
All right, here we go. So now Jesus, uh, sorry, Ju- Judas, sorry, who betrayed him knew the place where Jesus had often met with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers. Okay, so I, I did some research on what a detachment of soldiers is. It's somewhere between 300 and 600 armed Roman soldiers, trained Armin, uh, Roman soldiers. Okay, they train for fighting day in and day out so that when a war comes, they're, they're, they're ready. And not a weapon or not a strategy from the other team can intimidate them. Three to six hundred armed guards, okay? Uh, detachment of soldiers and some of the officials and chief priests from the Pharisees, they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons, all right? These were armed guards here. Three to six hundred of them. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now this goes back to when Moses said, God, who do you, what do I say? Who do I say is sending me to release the people? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. So Jesus is sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's three to six hundred armed guards around him and 13, him and his 12 friends, sitting in the garden. You getting the picture? Yeah? These are highly trained soldiers. It would be like the SWAT team coming in to arrest a preacher, right? And his 13 people that are praising God in his house. All right, that's what we're looking at here, okay? And they say, who is it? And he just goes, he just opens this much of his power. He just goes, me, like that. That's all he does of his power. And he just goes, I am. That's it. That's all he says. And the people who are there to arrest him and probably hate him have no choice and cannot help themselves but to fall down. What power? That, that gives me so much more encouragement from when the verse that says on the end of days, on the day of judgment, every knee will bow. That means everybody, whether you've heard about Jesus or not, you don't have a choice. He is so powerful that he is going to stand and we will fall before him. That's the God. That's the powerful God that has already won this war with Satan. So guys, if I'm going to choose, and it is every single day, I promise you, it is a choice on who you're going to choose to serve, who you're going to choose to take your cues from. Are you going to take your cues from the outside in? Are you going to live your life from the outside in, or are you going to live your life from the inside out? Because God, the powerful God that just went, meh, And everybody fell down. Lives inside every single one of you. And lives inside me. And lives inside every one of those adults over there who love you and will die for you. If we can live from the inside out instead of the outside in. See guys, God intended for the Israelites to be the example to the world. He he, he wanted them to be set apart. He created them and us to be set apart, to be different. So that the world would look at us and go, wow, there's something about them. 
I want that. How can I get me some of that? And the Israelites messed it up. They were living from the outside in. And my charge to you is that you will live your lives from the inside out quickly. And I'm just going to, I have a lot here and I know it's raining. Not a lot more, okay? Not a lot more. I have a lot of verses about being chosen. So I'm going to hit the high points, okay? Where are we? All right, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are not like that. You are the chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We have, sorry, I should have done the iPhone thing. That was much, much better. Psalm 4.3, you could be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord will answer when I call him. First John 4, 4 through 6, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's point of view, and the world listens. The world is trying to tell you what is right. The world is trying to tell you what is normal. The world is trying to tell you what is cool. The world is trying to tell you the right things to do in order to be accepted. Listen, you have already been accepted. You have already been accepted by a powerful God. Then on the end of days, everyone, even your friends that talk bad about you, are going to bow down and worship. Guys, I want you to know that God has called you to be different. Listen, it's math, okay? I'm going to throw a math problem out to you. The Bible says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many find it. Narrow is the gate and... Sorry, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And few find it. We are called to be the minority. We are called to be different. And we need to live our lives by God telling us who we're supposed to be, not the world. And yes, I'm even talking at Christian schools. I went to a Christian high school. I went to a Christian university. And I promise you, I had kids in both of those schools that were trying to tell me who I'm supposed to be. God has called me and set me apart. God has called you and set you apart to be different. And if we can be okay with being weird, and we can be okay with being God's chosen and not being accepted by the world, if we can be okay with that, then we can understand the peace the peace of God that transcends all understanding. The people in the world don't understand it. It transcends all understanding. They don't understand that. Guys, peace doesn't mean it's going to be happy all the time. Peace does not mean that you're going to be all sugar pops and gumdrops. Okay? Bad things are going to happen. What peace means is that you're okay with God being the chess master and you're just a pawn. I'm just a pawn and I can only see one or two steps ahead of me. Maybe at an angle if I want to kill someone. 
So that was a chess joke. I don't really want to do that. What the peace of God means is that when something bad happens in my life, it's okay. Because I know God is in control whether I can make sense of it or not. Guys, God doesn't need me to make sense of someone dying. God doesn't need me to justify his actions. God is God and I am not. And when we understand that and we have that peace and we don't choose to live like everyone else, then we won't end up like everyone else.